Hello, my name is Tom Abbott, and welcome to another University of Warwick podcast. The outbreak of foot and mouth in Surrey has once again brought the threat of the disease spreading to farms across the UK. Matthew Vernon, a research fellow in biological sciences at the University of Warwick, has been looking at how the movement of farm animals affects the spread of infectious diseases such as foot and mouth. Research that in the future may help contain outbreaks. Matthew, we've, we've had two fresh outbreaks of foot and mouth in Surrey. Can you explain to me why foot and mouth is such a problem for the farming community? Foot and mouth is a highly contagious viral disease of cloven-hooved animals, so particularly cattle, sheep and pigs. And it's a problem for farming for two reasons, really. Firstly, it's quite an unpleasant disease for the animals themselves. Um, it's not usually fatal, but it causes quite a lot of uh, discomfort and often in an outbreak, animals have to be euthanized for humane grounds. It's secondly a problem economically. We, the UK is foot and mouth free, and most people we trade both livestock and livestock products with are also foot and mouth free. And because it's so contagious, we have to tr- keep work tr- quite hard to keep foot and mouth out because. Once it was in the UK, it potentially it could spread very rapidly, and that then means that we can't trade with anybody because all the people we usually trade with are free of foot and mouth, and so we'd have to ban all exports. And that's what we saw happening in 2001. So, as well as the, the loss of livestock, and it can be quite traumatic for a farmer to have his entire herd culled, there's a big economic impact as well. So your work um, within biological sciences is looking at how these diseases actually spread. Um, What are the kind of areas of animal communication of disease that you're looking at? I particularly look at the role of animal movements. Um, Since about the late 90s there's been a requirement whenever anyone sells cattle to record that and pass those records on to the government. So we have this great big database of who moves cattle where and when and what I've been trying to do is, is to look at how we can treat that mathematically so we can then try and get a handle on what, that, what those movements do to the dynamics of a disease process and potentially how we might modify the way we move livestock around to reduce the potential of transmission of disease whilst not affecting how the industry works. So what is the impact that movement does have on the communication of the, these diseases? Uh, it's noticeable that whenever there's an outbreak of foot and mouth that immediately there's a ban put on animal movement. Why is that so critical? Essentially, because while most movements of animals occurs in a relatively local area, there are some quite long-range movements, and particularly farmers from sometimes across the country will go to a particular market, and they'll all bring their animals in. Those animals will all interact with each other on a limited basis in the market, and then they'll go back across, the, sometimes across the whole United Kingdom. And we saw that in 2001, where the disease wasn't picked up early enough, so... The, the original infected animals were taken to a market and then spread across the country. And that was why, to an extent, that um, epidemic spread so far. It was just really one market that spread in foot and mouth across the country. So what were the key differences between 2001 and the current outbreak? As you've indicated, 2001 had a massive impact, and I'm sure we all remember the, the scenes of uh, burning piles of carcasses across the country. And yet this, this time it seems to have been very well, main, well contained. And what were the kind of critical differences between the two outbreaks? It does look like it's been contained. And the difference, I think, is that we acted swiftly this time. Um, 
if you go back, after each of the previous Bigfoot math outbreaks, there's been a large public inquiry, and the conclusion every time has been the same, that if we act quickly and stop movement of animals, that's the best way to contain an outbreak of foot and mouth. And so far, it seems that this time, that's what we did. But the success of, of that system is based upon having adequate information to monitor uh, the movement of animals in those systems. Um, do we have that in place now? Is that, the, is that one of the kind of critical differences between 2001 and, and what's going on at the moment? Yes and no. I, don't, I think we, there are still problems with how quickly we can get data about animal movements into the system and out to either people in the field trying to deal with an outbreak or researchers trying to model it. Separately, though, I think our awareness of foot and mouth is still quite high after 2001. So when these first suspect symptoms were seen, a vet was called in sooner rather than later. So I think we have this enhanced awareness of the need to keep an eye on our animals and look for signs of disease generally, not just foot and mouth. But I think there are still issues that we need to be addressed in terms of how quickly we can get that movement data available both to government and to researchers. So how does your work in terms of modelling that data actually help government and researchers and the farming community better prepare for future outbreaks? I think the, the role that modelling plays in, in sort of control of diseases is a little bit vexed really because um, government has its own agenda what it wants to try and get the farming community to do. The farming community has its own agenda and obviously Farmers want their animals to be healthy, but at the same time they're trying to make a profit in what are quite difficult economic conditions for farmers, particularly in the UK. So what we try and do is say, well, given what's happening at the moment, this is how it seems to be affecting the spread of diseases, particularly with foot and mouth, where we have all this wealth of data, both about the movement and when the cases occurred. And we can then say from that, well, here are some, some ideas you might like to think about if you're trying to modify the way we do agriculture in the UK, as it were. And one thing that came out of that has been um, standstill periods, whereby if you, with a few exceptions, if you move animals onto your farm, you then have to not move any other animals on and off for a period of time, it's currently six days, um, before you move them off again. The idea being that if you've brought a contagious disease on, you'll see symptoms before you then go on and spread it further. Um, can you just describe the process of what you're actually doing with that data? So you, you get all this information. What, do, what are you actually doing with it? Right. Well, well, I, well, I, well it arrives from us in a, in a database, and we load that into a database we have here, and then we can extract from that movements of animals in a particular period. I mean, we, the, date to, the time of movements is recorded on a day-by-day -day basis. And we can then put that into either a static network, where we take a period of, say, seven days, and produce a static network or a dynamic network where we have a different network for each day. And what I do is I then simulate disease processes across that network and look at, at the moment I've been looking at different ways of representing this network to give us something that's simple to analyse because obviously a static network is easier to deal with than a whole series of dynamic ones. Um, but at the same time, okay, that's simpler, but is it actually realistic? And what sort of data are you actually capturing? What are the kind of what are the what are the, the different bits of information that you need to be able to do this modelling? Well, what we get is every animal where it was born, and then we get it as a stay on location. So it'll tell us that this cow stayed on this farm for this set of days, and then it also then later stayed on this other farm on this set of days. So what we have to do is to turn that into movements, because what we're interested in is movements. Say these cattle moved from here to there on this day. 
you've described a system where these models are able to give you an awful lot of information. And where are the gaps in the model at the moment? Well, one of the big gaps in the model is just getting the data quickly enough. It currently, a lot of these movements are sent in on a bit of, bit of paper. You get a cattle have a passport, you tear a page out, you write some details on it, you stick it in the post. There's obviously a delay there. And this currently means, in the face of an outbreak, well, we usually, if we're lucky, we'll know what happened last month. So an ongoing question is, how stable is this network? If we know what happened last year, for example, can we say that's going to happen again this year? You know, if you ask me, there's an outbreak next week, where's it going to spread? We don't really know. So is the, is the principle to, by modelling what's happened in the past, perhaps understand how, for example, a, an outbreak in Surrey might spread to Cumbria? Yes. I mean, that will, that, will be, that will be an ideal thing. And one way of doing that is to treat the model as just an abstract network and say, this is a network that is evolving over time. Given what we know about it now, what can we say about it in the future? That's something we would like to be able to do, because we're never going to have up-to-date data. So given what we know, in the face of an outbreak, this is where it's likely to be going. It would be a good thing to be able to say, because if you've got limited manpower, you then know where to concentrate it. And what's the input that network theory has to this work? Network theory has been used in terms of understanding human transmission of disease for quite a while. Um, how are you applying that to the transmission of animal disease? Network theory is essentially a way of abstracting contacts between individuals, farms, people. Um, it's been used, as you say, in humans, particularly to look at sexually transmitted diseases. It's quite easy to describe a sexual contact between people. Um, and so you can, you can go out and collect this data, you can ask people about their, their habits, um, or you can go and look at commercial sex workers and ask them about their clients and how often people come back. And you can, that lets you draw a network, and it's, it's pretty simple, really. You have, you have a dot for each person in that case, and you draw a line between them if there's been a sexual contact. And using those networks, we've been able to do quite a lot to study the spread of sexually transmitted diseases, particularly AIDS. And what I do is I do a similar sort of thing. I draw a dot wherever there's a cattle farm or a showground or a slaughterhouse or anything like that, and I draw a line between them if there's been a movement of cattle in a period of interest, usually a week or 28 days. Is that map complicated by the internationalisation of our food industry? It is, but only to a relatively small extent. We don't import very many live animals, and indeed most of the animals we export never come back again. So that's not so much for a problem. Are there other diseases where this kind of theory or this, this um, methodology would have a, a significant impact? I'm thinking of bird flu being an obvious one, um, the relationship between the transfer of animals from Eastern Europe into UK uh, and the outbreak that we had on the Bernard Matthews farm. Are, the, these sort of, are these areas that could be informed by using systems like this? There's certainly a potential there. The difficulty is acquiring the data. And we have all this data on cattle because it's a statutory requirement. But we have much less good data on movement of poultry around the place. Um, another disease that it has been used for, and indeed a colleague of mine is working on this, is tuberculosis. Um, because again, we have this data on movement of animals, and we also have data on when farms are te tested positive for tuberculosis. So what my colleagues have been doing is looking at that to try and find out what the problems with what, what impact the problems that we have with the test is not a very good test. The environmental reservoir um, badges, which may, you know, the, the role of badges is highly controversial, and the role of movements. All of these things you can, to an extent, you can put into a model 
and then try and sort of and use these network approaches to try and see which are important, how we can reduce the level of TB um, without killing every badger in the country and every cow. So is this kind of is this data analysis and capture critical to our ability to manage this risk? If we're never going to be risk free, um, is it vital that we then maintain our vigilance in this area and make sure that we continue to collect all this information? Yes, I think it is. Not just because um, we need to know from a sort of food assurance point of view where our animals have come from. And that's, why, that's where all this movement recording started from. It was BSE. And we wanted to be able to say, this side of beef came from this farm and it had stayed, this, the animal had stayed on these different places and was born here. And so when, we were, when BSE was sort of at its height, we were trying to trace back and see where the sort of source farms were to try and get a handle on what was going on. And now that's perhaps less of an issue, though it's still important to consumers. People like to know where their meat is coming from. It also it, it enables us to, try to sort of see where we're moving animals around. So if an exotic disease like foot and mouth arrives in the country, where it's likely to go, particularly where it's likely to have gone before we realised we had it. Um, so I think that, that continues to be important. And what do you think the policy lessons are that need to be learned from this current outbreak? Well, so it, it looks like it's going to be a nice example of the need to act quickly. Well, what's been said, as I think I mentioned earlier, every time is act quickly, stop movements, and that way you can contain the outbreak. And it does, so far, touch wood, look like that's what's happened this time. So in that sense, it, it, it sort of reinforces the lessons of previous foot and mouth outbreaks. I think what we'd like to see as modelers is data becoming available to us sooner. It's not been very easy to keep up with what's been happening. And I think DEFRA has struggled to get movement records up to date with us as soon as we perhaps like. Mm -hmm.